0: Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to Academy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class. Get my newest class, 26 Speeches That Changed America. It's a great class. also purchase one of my other classes. You keep this podcast free of charge by doing that. We've got Christmas coming up, great holiday season. My classes make great gifts, so go on out there and do that. Also, you can click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can purchase a book plate. You can purchase one of my books. You can buy some Brian McClanahan merchandise at that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. All kinds of ways to support the show. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. All right, so I want to address something today. And... I want to talk about this debate that a fight that I essentially started. I picked the fight. And I've mentioned it before on this podcast and I want to get into some new developments in this. But back early this year, I wrote a piece for Chronicles magazine. If you don't know, you probably do if you listen to the podcast regularly. Well, I wrote a piece for Chronicles magazine where I where I uh, criticized the 1776 commission report. I was highly critical of it. And so Michael Anton at American Greatness writes a piece defending not only his friends, but also the report. And so I rejoined, I wrote a piece for Chronicles again, and he wrote another piece, which I have not responded to. Since then, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, which uh, is, a, and it, it, they, they have published the journal, Modern Age, and right now a, a man named Daniel McCarthy, who I consider a, a uh, colleague, uh, he's someone who um, I've never met him in person, but we've had some conversations before through email. Um, and uh, he's he's a, he's solid. I mean Daniel McCarthy is a good man and he's now back at ISI. He worked in some other endeavors, but he's back at ISI. And he hosted a conference uh, a couple of weeks back, a panel where he invited a libertarian from Cato. Uh, I don't remember her name, and honestly, when you watch the video, it's so bad. Uh, somebody mentioned to uh, Kevin Goodsman, who was also on the panel, that when she said something, he rolled, her eye, rolled his eyes at her, and I mean, if you watch the video, you'll understand. Michael Knowles, who was kind of a rising uh, East Coast, Straussian, neoconservative, Inc kind of guy, and then... You've got Michael Anton on the panel. Now, I was not invited. I picked the fight, but I wasn't invited. The panel was convened because of the fight that I picked. So regardless, Kevin Goodsman was invited to be there, and he did a great job. Look, I mean, Kevin is a first-class scholar. Um, He's somebody that can expertly defend the founding from the same position that I do it, right? I mean, we're, we're simpatico in that way. So uh, he was there, and he did a fantastic job, but I wasn't invited. Now, But I want to talk about something that came up near the end of the panel discussion before they went to Q&A. Michael Anton talked the most. In fact, uh, he he really tried to dominate the discussion. And I talked to, uh, to Kevin about this, and he said, gosh, I wish I had talked more. And that was something that people had said. I wish he had give, been given more time. We know that, Knowles and I skipped over most of what Knowles said, and I skipped over everything the Libertarian said because she was just really bad. I listened intently to what Anton had to say, and of course what Kevin had to say, because that was the real debate. I mean, these other two people are up there, and they meant nothing. Cato is irrelevant, um, and uh, in, in many ways, and and Knowles is just spouting whatever conservative ink wants to throw out there, but Anton. And Gutzman, of course, but Anton, more importantly, because of American greatness, because the West Coast Strausians are having a moment where they are ascending, and I've seen um, uh, there's a there's a person he, he sends me some emails, and you know maybe the Strausians are, I mean, the, the new conservatives, and he points out that people like Clarence Thomas call themselves and calls himself a Straussian, and he likes Thomas, and so uh, maybe that's um, Maybe the Straussian stuff, it makes him rethink his anti-Straussian positions. The problem with all of this is that the Straussians at the end of the day are still one-size-fits-all nationalists. And so about one hour and 30 minutes into this particular particular, uh, panel discussion, Kevin Goodsman is talking about the founding. And he says that, look... My position is this. I've lived all over the country, and I've lived in 12 different states, and I see that people want in different states to have different types of governments. They they believe in different things. I've lived in Hawaii. I've lived in the East Coast, South. He currently lives in Connecticut. He sees that people want different things out of their government, and he's very Jeffersonian in this, and that he says, look, at the end of the day, the core is... Federalism. This is what Jefferson wanted to reform Virginia, but he really could care a less about what happened in Connecticut. He might say, well, I think that there should be religious liberty in Connecticut, but I'm not going to do a dang thing about it. That's for you, Danbury Baptists, to take care of yourself. Maybe one day religious liberty will come to Connecticut, but it's not the job of the federal government to do it. In fact, he points out that in the Virginia-Kentucky resolutions, the very first charge was that it violated the Alien Sedition Acts, violated the Tenth Amendment, right? So this, it was a Tenth Amendment argument. It wasn't free speech. It wasn't just, it was, this violates the Tenth Amendment. You have no power to do this. In fact, Jefferson would say that he believed that sedition laws were okay, but only at the state level, because there was no federal power for sedition laws. That was a state issue, okay? So Kevin says, well, I think we should let, you know— Flowers be flowers. Let's have a thousand flowers, whatever. Let's let these flowers, let's let the people make their own decisions at the state level. Let's let them do it. And Anton said, well, I agree with everything you say, except that last part. Because we need to have one American culture, essentially is what he's saying. There has to be this singular belief system in America, and it has to be based on the Proposition Nation, essentially. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's getting at. Because Anton, at the end of the day, is a Lincolnian. And he says something that, he says, look, Joff and all these Strausians were right. And they're right because you, there's going to be an either-or situation. Either you're going to believe that all men are created equal, or you won't. Either you're going to be Calhoun, or you're not. And so then he launches into a little bit of an anti-Calhoun diatribe, and this is part of his book, and this is coming strict from Jaffa. Jaffa hated John C. Calhoun. He couldn't understand why someone like Russell Kirk would put Calhoun in a book on conservatism because he didn't really think Calhoun was real American conservative. It was something else. Something else. I mean, Calhoun was the antithesis of what the founding generation wanted. Because, you see, the founding generation thought they would put slavery on a path to extinction and all these things. There's the Northwest Ordinance. They were trying to, to crush it. Then there was, you know, you have instances in, uh, in various northern states, and you even had some discussions of it in, in southern states. This is all true. I mean, look, the, the, there was some discussion in southern states about any of the institution, but it never happened. And again, Kevin Goodsman pointed out, correctly so, that this was even brought up in Virginia as they were debating their first constitution and it was said, well, I mean, they took this very locking position. It, you know, all men are created. That they have the right life, liberty, and property. Accept. But then it was, it was protested. Well, wait a second here. You can't say that because we've got these slaves. If you say that, it's going to. So when they enter a state of society, when they enter a state of society, and what they meant by that is when they're citizens, they have all these rights. If they're not citizens, they don't have these rights when they enter a state of society. So today we could say that everyone that enters a state of society and a citizen has these rights to life, liberty, and property. But you can be deprived of those things through due process. I mean, you can still have liberty, a natural right to liberty, but if you break the law and you're incarcerated, you no longer have a natural right. I mean, you still have the natural right, but you no longer have your societal right to liberty, right? You've lost that right. Your property can be taken from you. If you go with this 100% and so say you have a natural right to these things that can never be taken, then you can never do a private for any reason, any reason whatsoever. You just can't have it. So, what Anton does is he says, okay, well, look, we have to have one unified American goal here, excuse me, one unified American goal, one unified Americanism, and the central authority has to do it. In fact, he said later on that the founders didn't necessarily believe. That big government was bad to this effect. Uh, they, they certainly were, were in line with constant limited government, but not big government. So big in its limited sphere was okay with them. Now it depends on what founders you're talking about, but even Alexander Hamilton, who was the big government guy of the founding, or I mean, really was the big government guy, had one person working in the Treasury Department with him. That's it, one person. One person. So we go back to this thing where Calhoun becomes the antithesis of the Founders. It all, look, to the Strausians to the West Coast Strausians Calhoun is, and this is where I've talked about it last week with evil, Calhoun is the evil man. Calhoun is the antithesis of the American founding. Whereas if you actually read Calhoun, you'll come probably to the opposite conclusion. Now, Calhoun never said the founders are wrong. In fact, he relies on the founders. There were people that would say later on, by the time you get to the 1850s, we'd look at people like Albert Bledsoe, who wrote a book entitled Liberty and Slavery, where he gets into these ideas of the Declaration, this all men are created equal. And you have other people wrestling with this too. And this is what Alexander H. Stevens says uh, in his Cornerstone speech, which, by the way, is in my 26 speeches that changed America uh, and I, I address the cornerstone speech. So he says, you know, the, the, it was all wrong. It, it, this whole idea is all wrong. Our government's going to be based on something different. Well, that gives the Straussians firepower because he well, see, look, Southerners really didn't believe in the founding. And this is what Michael Anton says. Southerners didn't believe in the founding. They believed in something exactly opposite of the founding. Because look at what Alexander E. Stevens says. Look at what he said in the Cornerstone speech. They believe that the founding really is, and there's one of these, Cameron Hilditch says this stuff too at National Review. This is what he, but this is Jaffa stuff, right? This is Jaffaite. All these people are Jaffaites. And they say it over, my teacher, my teacher, my teacher, my teacher Jaffa. It's kind of juvenile. I mean, you're talking about grown men. I mean, Hilditch is in his 20s. He's a little immature. But Anton, to sit there and say, my teacher, my teacher, I mean, come on, Jaffa, be your own man. Have your own thoughts. But regardless, you've got, uh, you've got a situation where they point back to the cornerstone speech and say, well, no, Americans really didn't think, and I've talked about this on the podcast, Americans really didn't, Southerners really didn't think that the Declaration is the founding. It's really the Constitution that's the founding. And I mean, Kevin Goodsman points this out in the, in the debate with Anton. He says, Well, look, they didn't think that the declaration was just that, a declaration. We've already we're just declaring something that already exists. And in Virginia, this was the case. They thought in May you actually had an independent Virginia. It wasn't a unified government, there was no social contract. None of that stuff existed. What we have is in May of 17. 76, we've got an independent Virginia because we've written our own constitution. We're already independent. We're, we're out. We're just declaring. It's not a founding document. It's a, it's a defounding document. It's a, it's a secessionist document. This is what it was. Not with any lofty principles. And even Lincoln himself said that. Well, I mean, yeah, this isn't, it's not something we're worried about now. It's something we're worried about later in the 19th century, when we can use this like the abolitionists did to our advantage, like I talk about in 26 speeches that changed America with William H. Seward in his higher law speech, and Frederick Douglass in his speech on the 4th of July. I mean, these are things, or the... Uh, the Declaration of Sentiments from Elizabeth Cady Stanton. These are the things that I talk about in that class because those are things that changed America because Michael Anton essentially is regurgitating the stuff now. Those were leftists in the 19th century. They were the reformists. They weren't the conservatives. Calhoun was the conservative. He's looking to conserve this original federal republic. That's what it comes down to. And he even said in his positive good speech, which, by the way, I cover in 26 speeches that Changed America, he says in that speech, Hey, look, the government has the power to abolish slavery. If they can do anything else, if they can have a force bill, guess what? They can abolish slavery. We know it. I mean, they can do it. This is why he's saying these petitions we're receiving are are problematic for America moving forward because they're going to create the climate of if government can have a force bill, which is illegal, if it can do all these other things which are illegal and unconstitutional, it can do whatever it wants. It has unlimited power. So what was he trying to do with the concurrent majority And with his ideas on government, he's trying to restrain that unlimited power. He's trying to give federalism teeth. That's what he's trying to do, which is exactly what Jefferson wanted to do in the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions. He's trying to give it teeth. This is the point. So Michael Anton, by saying, look, there has to be one unifying thing because we have you have to have one principle and either you're going to have a belief that Calhoun creates that men are not equal or you have to have might makes right or you're going to have a belief that men are equal and that's what you have to believe. Now, it's not that either or. It's not that and the founders didn't look at it that way either because they certainly were fine as I've pointed out and as I responded to them and and other they've pointed out that, uh, well, I mean, in Connecticut, in 1818, we can have a constitution that says all men are created equal, and yet we can deny blacks the ability to vote, because that's what they did. They didn't see any incompatibility in that. Now, I'm not advocating that. Don't get me wrong here. What I'm saying is they didn't see an incompatibility in the things that Michael Anton somehow sees an incompatibility in. They didn't see it, because, you see, they would have agreed. with. me. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't think that black Americans in 1818, this was their position in Connecticut, that black Americans are equal to white Americans, and so we don't even think they're really that much of a citizen. They're a second-class citizen, and so we're going to not let them vote. There weren't that many anyways in Connecticut. And, of course, Connecticut had, quote-unquote, Jim Crow laws. Before the war, they had Jim Crow laws in the 1850s. They called them that, the Jim Crow car. They called it that. This is where C. Van Woodward points out, yeah, I mean Jim Crow—that's a Northern invention, not a Southern invention. Southerners just used it, but it was a Northern invention. So we've got this entire situation where we have Michael Anton. And this is this is my problem with the Straussians. It's still one size fits all. You have to agree with this particular principle, or and if you do now, where do you stop? This is where Paul Gottfried points out. Okay, all right, we all agree. One man, all people, all men are created equal, right? And if you go to the Declaration of Sentiments, all men and women are created equal, because that's what they said there, and that's what Joe Biden says. So we've got that position. Now, where do you stop? does this? Where does this term equality stop? Because the left could read it and say, well, it stops. This never stops. Equal has to be conditioned. Equal it can't just be under the law. Equal has to be conditioned. Equal has to be everything. There, you cannot say that anything is unequal anything everything should be viewed in the context of equality this is what we should be doing and michael anton of course would bristle with it no 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 no. you can't do that we get to say when it stops well why why do this why do the straussians get to stay where it stops and not the left because really this whole idea is leftist at its core and this is this is why i picked the fight There was a a friend of mine on social media who said, I don't know if this is a worthwhile fight. It is. We have to pick this fight. This fight is completely worthwhile. It's worthwhile because if you don't pick this fight, you have conceded the entire field to the left. You can't do it in any other way. If you get on board with the Straussians, the West Coast Straussians, who say that uh, Calhoun is essentially the antithesis of America, you have conceded the entire field to the left. Because Calhoun was not that. Now, do we all agree with what Calhoun said about slavery? Of course not. Do, we don't think that slavery is a positive good for America, okay? But Calhoun said a lot of other really important things. And he was prescient about the powers of government. And I've said this last week when I talked about Bob Elder's piece on Calhoun and the filibuster. Calhoun is the hinge in the 19th century. And he is the lynch. If you, if, if you are going to look at the 19th century, it's it comes down to Calhoun. He is the most important political figure of the 19th century before Lincoln. Before Lincoln. Now, you could say there's others, of course, that are important, too. Jefferson was 18th century, even though he drags into the 19th. Same thing with Madison and Monroe. But Calhoun is the most important political figure of the 19th century before Lincoln. And Lincoln becomes that. But of that second generation of Americans, no one's more important than Calhoun. Not Clay, not Webster, not anyone else. It's Calhoun. Not John Quincy Adams, even though Adams was right up there for a lot of wrong reasons, but it was Calhoun. And Calhoun's Calhoun was the most original thinker of that particular period of time. And coming to terms with what America actually was and what the revolution actually meant, the American War for Independence, even John Taylor of Caroline pointed out at one at one time, well, yeah, we were all blown over by this Enlightenment thought that was going on in the world in the 18th century, and then we woke up and we realized, oh my gosh, this is stupid. I mean, I'm not paraphrasing, and we quickly turned co- turned course and said, no, 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 we got to get away from this stuff. They all woke up and realized it, and Calhoun said, yeah, um, this we're in a situation. Calhoun was a practical man. I mean, that's one thing. He wasn't an ideologue. That's the other thing about Calhoun that that I think Michael Anton misses. Calhoun was practical, and I've said this before, he didn't think that slavery was positive in the abstract. He thought slavery was positive as it existed in the United States at the time under those particular conditions and circumstances. That's it. He never said it was sla- he actually said this in the positive good speech, which I cover. It's in the 26 speeches class. He didn't defend slavery in the abstract. He wasn't an ideologue. Calhoun was a practical traditionalist. He looked at the Constitution and said, okay, this is what it's supposed to do. And if it's supposed to do these things, we need to come up with a way to ensure that it happens. It's not ideology. That's He's looking back at the ratification debates. He's looking at the Philadelphia Convention. He's looking at all these things and saying, okay, I'm reading John Taylor. I'm reading St. George Tucker. I'm reading the earliest debates. I'm reading all this stuff. And if this is the way the United States government was supposed to work, which all the evidence is on his side— then we got to come up with a way to protect the minority, which is what government should do. That is the very basis of government. It's not to protect the majority from the minority. No, no. It's to protect the minority from the majority. This is what laws are there for, to protect the minority from the majority and... And in Calhoun's case, of course, you're talking about the South, but you could say it was also New England at one point. In fact, John Taylor of Caroline pointed this out. He said, hey, look, we don't want either section to get abused by the other. We want a union that benefits all and burdens all equally. That was Calhoun's statement, but that's what we want. And nowadays, you can take that out of states, however you want to do it, but we've got a minority of America that's burdened by the majority, that's being bulldozed by the majority, and people are angry about it. They want to have power. Well, how do you do that? You limit the power of the center. You decentralize. You do all the things calvin was talking about doing. This is why Anton cannot, the Straussians cannot win this argument. Because if you believe in the Straussian position, you're eventually going to get the left controlling everything. It has to, because they've got all the intellectual ammunition on their side. It has to. So when I go back and I look at this debate and I think, oh my gosh, no, 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 you can't say that. You can't say there has to be one defining principle of them. There can't be an Americanism because there never was an Americanism. You have four distinct cultures planting their boots on American soil, English cultures planting their boots on American soil in the 17th century. And those four cultures were antagonistic oftentimes. They weren't going to get along on everything. You can't have... American culture. It's like utopia for utopians as uh, as John Taylor of Caroline wrote. A utopia for utopians. It doesn't exist. Abel Upshur. Same thing. It doesn't exist. You cannot have an American nation. Can't exist. St. George Tucker talks about the Constitution. It was designed to be decentralized. All that stuff. This is where Anton loses. And he would say, well, I mean, but we need a centralized governing principle or it's never going to work. No the states should be allowed to do what they want as long as they have a Republican form of government and they're not violating their own state constitutions, their own Bill of Rights, which, of course, are important. This is something that Anton, I think, doesn't get. Those are important, too. Then you have a real federal system, and that's what American conservatism is all about. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClain Show. I'll see you next time in the next one. See you then.